Welcome to the Scatter Podcast with your hosts, Javier Oraca and Joel Dayrit. Welcome to the 30th episode of the Scatter Podcast. About a month ago, I hosted a data science career panel in conjunction with Our Ladies Irvine, and we had an awesome turnout. Uh, hosting an all-women panel of data scientists is something I've been wanting to do for about a year now, and I'm just very thankful that we were able to make this career panel happen. The five panelists included Colleen Kelly, founder and president of Kelly Statistical Consulting, Leandra James, who is a data science manager at Quigley Simpson, Zi Yang, who is a biostatistician at Nanostring, Tiffany Collins, who is a social media data scientist at the Saddleback Valley Unified School District, and Corinne Krikorian, data science executive and business strategist at Disney. The following audio is just the audio stripped from uh, that virtual career panel, uh, and I'll be sure to link to the YouTube in case you want to see uh, see all of our faces and the interaction we had there. And yeah, I just had a great time getting to know these ladies and understand more about their journey into data science and what has helped them in their career, both from an academic perspective, as well as just different experiences that have allowed them to, to be successful in this field. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. My name is Alyssa Columbus. I'm the founder of Arlie's Irvine, and I'm so excited to have you all here today for the Arlie's Irvine and Scatter Data Podcast Data Science Career Panel. And I can't iterate this enough. Welcome, whether you're an R novice or R expert, whatever your interest or skill level in R, statistics or data science, this group is for you and you're welcome here. I always love to reiterate the R Ladies Global Mission every meeting. R Ladies Global is a worldwide organization that promotes gender diversity in the R community via meetups and mentorship in a friendly and safe environment. That means that no question is a stupid question. Please feel free to ask all the questions that you would like uh, to the Google form that I have pasted in the chat um, and at any time during the announcements as well. Um, yeah, we're all here to learn and grow together and that's why I made this chapter to enable and empower women in the Southern California and especially the Irvine and Orange County area to be able to learn and mentor each other, learn from and mentor each other. So um, I'd also like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Our global sponsors include the R Consortium, our studio, our forwards, NASA, and the NASA Data Knots program, of which I'm honored to be a member. Um, our local sponsors and friends also include Microsoft and their developer advocates team, O'Reilly Media, Edwards Life Sciences, OC Rug, the OCR users group, and many different departments in UC Irvine, including but not limited to the UC Irvine Athena Breast Health Network and the UCI Data Science Initiative. So going into our announcements, um, Arlie's Irvine has a really cool website. It's made with um, Blogdown and Hugo, all open source technologies. It's made with R, pretty much. Um, and yeah, we'd love to have each of you contribute a blog post to it. Um, as you can see at the top here, we have a blog. Um, anything cool related to data science, especially with R, building an R package, presenting something on R, doing anything cool related to R, we'd love to hear about it and we'd love to have it featured on our blog. So um, yeah, if you're interested, please feel free to email us at irvine at This email address is here on the website. 
and it's also on the last slide of this presentation. Okay, also what's going on right now is the R Foundation's Use R 2020. It's this huge global R conference um, with pretty much everyone from the international R community. And it's all online this year, which is really nice. So we don't have to travel all the way to Europe or somewhere across the United States to see all of the valuable R content that people present here. So yeah, you can view all of the recorded keynotes, tutorials, and contributed sessions online at usr2020.rproject.org. I was honored to um, present something, uh, present a contributed session on R for data privacy and governance. But yeah, there's hours and hours of valuable R content to help um, you not only learn R, but also improve your skill set with R and improve your workflows. So yeah. Also, the National Institute of Statistical Sciences um, has an essential data science for business overview. Uh, this is also free and you'll get to learn about the top 10 analytical approaches used in business contexts. This is next week, next Wednesday on July 29th, 2020 from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. Finally, um, we meet every other month on the third Tuesday of the month and we'd like to invite you all to come to our September meeting as well. We're narrowing down the speakers, but either way, if you join us, you'll learn something new about R. And it's also going to be online. Um, yeah, and it's gonna be the same time, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Pacific. So without further ado, um, I'm going to introduce uh, Javier Araca, our moderator, and we're gonna go ahead and get started with our data science career panel at exactly seven o'clock. Woo! Thank you, Alyssa. Appreciate the introductions and announcements, and thank you all for joining. Uh, it's a real honor to be here moderating this event and I can't thank Alyssa and Madeline Bauer enough for uh, helping me put this together and you know, working with them has been great. And for all the panelists, thank you so much for, for being able to make this. I would like to start with just some introductions from the panelists themselves so that the audience can get to know them. Um, I see Colleen, so I'm going to start with her, please. So Dr. Colleen Kelly, uh, if you don't mind please giving us an introduction about yourself that would be excellent oh thank you and thanks for inviting me to um this panel discussion yeah so i um i got my phd from ucsd quite some time ago and um mathematics actually because they don't have a statistics program there um so my my PhD was in statistics, and um, even though I had to take all the math requirements um, to, to finish that up. And then I got, I worked in academia for 15 years. Um, and after a certain amount of time, I started getting into consulting and um, went off and started my own company after a couple of stints working as a consultant. And I've been doing that now for about 10 years where I've had my own company. And um, I work with a lot of biotech in San Diego. It's a really exciting place to work because there are so many startups here doing biotechnology. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, let's see, I see Miss Leandra James as well. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Javier? I'm doing well. So yeah, thank you for being here as well. And uh, if you could give us a, a brief background, that would be excellent. 
Yeah, um, so I'm Leandra. Um, I am a manager of analytics and data science at a advertising agency in Los Angeles called Quigley Simpson. Um, prior to that, I was also working in the advertising industry in the operations research side, as opposed to the marketing side, which I'm working on now. Um, and my background is primarily in the entertainment, media, and advertising agencies. So anything media related, music, film, television. Um, I've even worked on the studio side, um, having worked for Sunset Studios, which is um, a real estate company that owns different Hollywood studios. Um, and working with their operations and marketing and financial initiatives there. Um, and then currently I'm also sort of a part-time PhD student um, at the University of the Cumberlands. I, I am studying information technology um, with a specialization in data science. And um, prior to that, my academic background is in entertainment and business. Awesome, thank you. And you're also an R user. We met at the R Hackathon last year, so good to have you. Uh, let's see, would Dr. Z Yang please provide a, a, an overview of your background? Hi everyone, uh, my name is Z. So my background is actually in biostatistics. I obtained my PhD in biostatistics from University of Southern California last year. Uh, and then during my last year in Southern California, I actually get to organize uh, um, our users group called LA uh, East, our users group with some of the other organizers at USC as well. And also um, get to participate in some of the local art events in Southern California area, like, you know, Orange County, our users group, and also our ladies in LA. Um, I know like, I'm pretty active on Twitter. And then some people, if you follow my Twitters, I, I talk about like Bayesian inference a lot. And then a lot of things about art, data visualization, and then also like how to do like self-promotion uh, using social media to seek for data science uh, jobs. And then uh, actually before going into the biostatistics field, I was a chemistry major and then um, and also international students as well. So I feel like, you know, definitely changing my major from chemistry to biostatistics as one of the very important life decisions I've made. And, and then so currently I'm working um, as a biostatistician at a biotech company in Seattle called Nanostream Technologies. I know my job title is not technically data scientist, but I don't think it does not like you know necessarily uh, differentiate my job descriptions. Working as a data scientist, we you know meet with customers, get to know the business question they're interesting, clean the data, apply the methodologies, modeling, and then generate reports and then present the data. So pretty much has shared a really similar workflow as like a data scientist in another field as well. And then um, so. I think that pretty much summarized my background. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Z. So I just saw Ms. Tiffany Collins. Tiffany, if you don't mind providing a background, that'd be great. Yes. Uh, hi, Javier. Thank you so much for inviting me to this panel. I'm, I'm honored to be amongst these very, very talented ladies. Um, so my background, I don't, I don't feel as, as scientific as the ladies on this panel because I started social media when um before it was a job title i was a social media manager but back in 2008 2009 i started working with a internationally recognized rock band called nspx as their social media manager 
you know, again, this was back before it was a real job title. So it was just kind of like, here is our Facebook. Why don't you play with it and see if you can figure out any of this? So it went from playing around with it to discovering that there was analytics to it, to discovering what that meant, to fast forward now. And now I work in the public sector. I work for Saddleback Valley Unified School District as a web content developer, which is a fancy way of saying I'm in charge of not only making the content and putting it up on the website by coding it either into the website or having one of our developers help us with that, and all the way down to presenting the analytic information to our board of education and other stakeholders so they can help make decisions on how the website should go and in which direction and what content we focus on. So my job started as something of make cute little hashtags for a punk fan, and it went all the way to now especially with the coronavirus happening, put very important information out to a lot of people, 34,000 students to be exact, and 5,000 teachers, and do it in a timely, concise manner in multiple languages. So I've seen my job title kind of transform over the years to kind of a joke. Um, no one did social media for a living, so now I'm considered almost like a data scientist. I'm on this panel for that. So it's been a wild ride over the last 10 years, but it's been fun academically. I went back to school later in life. I finished my bachelor's degree. I have a bachelor's in communication um, 18 years after starting it. I went back to school as a single mom with a uh, preschooler, and I ended up graduating summa cum laude from Eastern Washington University with a BA in communications. So I am one of those people who kind of just does anything in what order I think it works in, and that seems to work well for me in social media. And again, I'm honored to be on this panel. And yeah, that's me. Thank you, Susan. Last but not least, uh, Dr. Corinne Krigorian. If you don't mind providing a background, that'd be great. Sure. Um, well, uh, I um, also kind of started in academia. I thought I wanted to be a professor. Um, uh, did a PhD in uh, marketing at Stanford and um, kind of realized that it would be nice to know something about marketing before trying to teach at a business school, which is kind of the track you go on if you do a PhD in, um, in a business school. So uh, I said, well, I'll get a job. And uh, I was in LA because my, um, my husband was doing, um, doing his education here. So I thought, well, okay, entertainment, Disney. And so, um, and that was 20 years ago. So it's been a while. Um, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of different things at Disney, all associated with analytics in various forms. Started out doing um, uh, web analytics for our websites, uh, did e-commerce for Disney Store and uh, our parks websites, uh, worked on some of the first um, cruise line e-commerce sites that we had. So that was kind of a little bit of a claim to fame. After working on the website for a few years, moved over to the theme parks to do attendance forecasting and uh, worked out of Anaheim for about 12 years, doing a variety of different things, um, picked up different responsibilities over time for Disneyland and Walt Disney World, um, had great fun, uh, had the opportunity to work on Shanghai Disney doing um, did a lot of market research, did operations research, um, sizing, sort of figuring out how big to make it, how many rides to put in there, et cetera. Uh, and after about a little over a decade in theme parks, I had seen enough churros to last me an entire lifetime. And so I wanted to try something different and um, had, um, you know, over time, you know, of course, worked with different people across the company 
and um, there was a role open leading a data science consulting team uh, that works out of the corporate office in Burbank and uh, took that role and have been there the past couple of years and work with work with all the different parts of the Walt Disney Company, which is very cool. Um, do a lot of work with studios and television as well as theme parks. And so, uh, you know, get to have a chance to kind of jump in and out of a lot of different businesses and do analytics for them, which is a lot of fun. Excellent. Thank you so much. And it's nice to have you on the panel. So for all the panelists, just one note before I start going into the questions here. If, if you have any comments you want to make after I ask an individual, uh, you know, a question, feel free to chime in at the end of, of their answer, their response, uh, if you have any additional thoughts you'd like to provide on a specific question. So Tiffany, I would really like to start with you. Um, I love the story that you were in social media data science before it was even a career. I mean, at that point in time, I would say most social media platforms were really, you know, just for fun. Um, it took a while for, you know, MySpace to develop and really make a business out of it, as well as Facebook, even early, you know, rock band message boards. Um, you know, that was one of the earlier forms of social media that I remember very well from that era in the early 2000s. What has it been like seeing an entire industry mature around social media? And what are some of the, what are some examples of projects that you've been engaged in, uh, you know, more recently? It has been uh, crazy to watch it change. I remember in, in 2008, 2009, when I started to do social media as a job where I actually got paid for it, people were like, that's not a job. That's, there's no way that that's an actual job. So you got to think, so this is 2008, 2009. MySpace came about 2003. So it was still basically a baby, but it was the big, the big baby at the time. It was what people consider teenagers on. But you know, our, our band started a page on there. We started to find that their fan base, their customers, the people buying the tickets were on there. And when you're a small band on a big label that maybe doesn't get a lot of attention, you gotta go to your fans. And I was fortunate enough to work with a band that saw that early on. So it started with you know having a MySpace and then having a Facebook, because by 04, Facebook had started as well. By 06, Twitter had started, and we really started to see that there, there was steam here. This was more than just kids messing around or, you know, this was more than just a fad. This was something that was really going to be a thing. When Instagram came around in 2010 or 2010, we started to see, okay, this is going to be more than just words. This is going to be more than just sharing pictures with grandma. This is going to be how people make money and that there was going to be more to it. So it went from watching it be, be careful what you post on, on your social media. You may not get that job right out of college. You know, your interviewer is going to Google you. Find that picture of you doing a kegger and your career is over. So now I hear students who are, you know, they're about to graduate from high school and they have 200,000 uh, TikTok followers and they're going to make that their career and move out to LA and that's like their thing. So, and they're encouraged to do that. So it's, it's just crazy to watch it go from something of it's a trap it's a pitfall, it's a time waster to now, it's big business. I mean, Facebook is no longer the startup we thought it was in 08. It's now a billion dollar probably corporation. It's huge. And it can even shape our political outcomes. 
So to, to see the power it has taken and wielded, I can only imagine 10 years from now what it's going to look like. It's going to be insane. Um, and, and in that, and listening to what social media and what the data says behind it, we've kind of take, I've taken on projects and kind of shifted them around where I see the most eyeballs are kind of landing. And I've noticed even on social media, this year especially, anything tied to voice got really big. Podcasts, especially after coronavirus, everyone had a podcast. Yeti bikes were sold out on Amazon right away. Everyone wanted a podcast. So we started a podcast for our, our district. It seems silly at first. We're like, who's going to listen to this? We started it uh, late last year, kept it going this year. We've taken a little break because coronavirus got crazy. But we started a podcast where we just kind of broke down what are our frequently asked questions in the school district? What do people want to know about? So we looked at the, ca the calendar and we said, okay, so we know we've got inter-district transfers coming up. And it's not a, a sexy, fun topic. No one wants to make content about inter-district transfers. It's boring to sit there and have me talk to a screen and tell you, okay, if you want to transfer your student from this school to this school, this is how you do it. Instead, we just took the person who's in charge of that department, took our director of communications. We're like, we're going to have you sit down. I'm going to film it on one section. I'm going to do the voice on the other. And this is going to be five different pieces of content. It's going to be a 30 to a minute or a 30 minute to an hour long podcast. It's going to be multiple social media clips. It's going to drive people not only to your website, but to also our streaming services, like everything that we're doing and circle back around to come to our website where you'll get all the information. Let me put faces behind, you know, who's in charge of interdistrict transfers. Well, it's this particular person in this particular department. Now here he is in an interview with all of the information. Do you have more questions? Here's how you get it. So we took that and we made it bite-sized and we made it very accessible because that's also a big thing that's, changed a lot over the last 10 years is how people consume the information. So not only did we take that information, make it a podcast, make it a video, but then we put captions on it. So you make sure everybody who comes across the website, whether they're viewing the website on their phone or on a tablet or on a full laptop or whether they're using a device that allows them to do a screen reader, they can see it, read it, hear it, and grab that content. So it was a, it's about now taking that social media content making it as accessible as possible and then putting it out into the world. And I think that's probably the biggest shift I've seen is being much more conscious about not only what content we're putting out, but how we're putting out. So that's definitely the, the biggest change. Great perspective. Thank you. Z, I, I'd like to ask you, you, you recently completed your PhD to pursue a career at the intersection of biostatistics and data science. Do you mind walking us through sort of the rationale of you know, why you pursued the PhD in biostatistics and how the PhD prepared you for a career outside of academia? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so most of the people, when they know me, uh, they'll know, like, you know, I was doing PhD, back then I was doing PhD in biostatistics at USC, but actually uh, prior to that, I was, uh, I was majoring in chemistry in my undergraduate uh, when I was uh, back in China. I didn't even know there was a major called biostatistics then. Uh, it was a quite few, you know, a new field there and then so when I once I came to the states and then get a chance to talk to some of the people working in the public health school uh, I found this major fascinating you know you get to uh, involve um, you know work with data a lot and then answer some of the real life you know questions out there especially the uh, public health domain and then so um so at that time you know after you change to a new majors it's actually less likely for me to pursue a PhD uh, that was that wasn't my first choice but luckily, I had an internship in uh, one of the 
pharmaceuticals in Chicago during my, you know, uh, first year. And then at the time, I was talking to some of the people, you know, uh, in, in the company and also, uh, you know, much uh, advanced in the career. So that was the, uh, that was the chance I actually get a very important piece of uh, suggestions. Like, uh, if you would like to in, um, essentially in the future lead a project uh, in the future and then get to handle more complicated work and then it's actually more, it's actually suggested to, to get a PhD. And then especially at that time, my, my goal was like stay, uh, still stay in the healthcare industry. Um, so that was the time. I know, of course, back then, uh, data science wasn't as popular as it is right now. And then I, I remember that I don't even see much data scientist position hanging around um, when I was in Chicago. So um, actually, gradually, when I, you know, about to finish my, my PhD, um, I get myself exposed to the R community and then um, the data science community as well, uh, get to participate in a couple of like data science hackathon and then also give talks out there. And then I, I feel like, um, you know, the more I look into those opportunities and then um, I feel like my PhD uh, definitely has prepared me to, to start to pick up this, you know, career. For example, so I, uh, you know, during PhD, you definitely have to, um, be able to conduct independent research on the projects that no one has never worked on before. Yet there is probably some of the prior, uh, you know, foundational layout there. But most likely, what they were asking you is to develop something that never existed and be able to push this, you know, uh, research field forward. So that actually requires a lot of patience and then work to, you know, start to read papers and then understand what's going on in the community, stay tuned with some of the masters out there. And then sometimes like the data was not even there, you have to, you know, get your data and then develop the pipeline by yourself. And most of the times when you, you know, start to get into the field and have some results to, to share with others, uh, I feel like uh, doing a PhD definitely improved a lot about my, like, in, uh, pr uh, presentation skill set because every week I have to meet with either my professors or the physicians on the team and get to share what I have found recently. Uh, sometimes it could be like twice a week. And then by the time so when the paper was ready, I also need to present the results to a committee members for grant renewal where they pretty much invite, you know, experts in this field from other universities come over to USC. So we have to present, you know, what kind of papers and research work we have done and as the software that we also developed, you know, for another scientist to be able to apply our methods. And then this is not even including the opportunities for you to, to go on like, you know, conferences and then get to know another uh, excellent, you know, works done out there and get to networking with other scientists. And then also when I was at the USC, um, you know, as a PhD student, you often you, uh, get paid by either doing research or like um, work as a teaching assistant uh, in the in some of them uh, under like undergraduate or master level classes. I think like you know be able to teach at those classes definitely um, you know prepare me for the data science uh, career as well. Because I remember one of the professor told me that you never learn something uh, uh, you never learn until you have to teach someone. The, the, this knowledge. So I think that part of experience definitely, you know, helped me to quickly pick up new things, you know, uh, emer emer emerging in the data science field and then kind of stay uh, tuned with what's going on in, the, in this field as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Colleen, 
I'd like to ask you next, because you've had experience in academia and, you know, in industry, working as a consultant or corporations, you've worked with a lot of people of a wide range of educational levels. Can you please discuss the benefits of working with data science teams that have that kind of diversity in education levels from, let's say, bachelor's all the way to PhD? Sure. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, in the business that I do, um, we usually are working on a, a project that requires a team of people to handle all the aspects of the job. And so um, having people with different sets of talent skills, I think, is really helpful to do that. Um, they're you, you often want someone with, with a strong methodological background to make sure that the um, statistical methods being applied are appropriate, but then to actually apply those um, for any particular project, there's, there's lots of programming which needs to be done. And, um, and so, and usually the programmers are at more of a master's level, um, but but I have had some people at the bachelor's level also help with with that and doing the programming and creating tables and summary statistics. Um, and then there's always um, a huge QC portion of a project. So it's you know when presenting data and reports to a client, it's extremely important to have every single number correct. Um, and all the typos corrected, because uh, even a typo can reflect badly on your business. They might not trust the rest of your results if you can't spell a word correctly, for example. So, um, so I think a team where you know where we have different people doing different jobs. Um, some of some people are better at communication. Some people are really detail oriented and are going to be really good at making sure all the data is correct and that the tables are pretty. Um, and, and then there's, you know, the, the statisticians that have to make sure the statistics make sense and are explained correctly. So, so I think, um, I think it's, it's really fun to work with a team like that and to try to figure out what people's um, talent sets are and try to use those effectively. Thank you. Leandra, I, I'd like to ask you next. I, I find it interesting that you've been in the corporate world for you know five years or so, and just recently you decided to make a move back into a PhD program. So what was your experience that now leads you to pursue a PhD? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And it's actually sort of twofold. If not, there's potentially three reasons why I went to pursue a PhD. Um, I would say the first reason is because of personal reasons. Um, in my family background, um, a PhD is not, it's unprecedented um, in my background. And so I thought it was a personal achievement that I could sort of pursue. Um, and I knew that it was something that I could do. And I, I just think that it almost be like a waste for me to not do something that I knew I was able to do. Um, 
a part of it was the sort of the ability to choose to work in academia at some point should I want to do that although that was never honestly an aspiration that I had I sort of always saw myself working in industry um, but it's nice to sort of have that I guess option you know when I you know maybe I get tired of industry or something when I get older so I kind of like that option um, and you know there's a little bit of me wanting to I, I guess you know understanding and applying the scientific method um is very important but i don't think a phd was necessary for me personally to to learn that um i think it certainly adds rigor and discipline and structure to that um obtaining that knowledge but i don't think that it was necessarily required um but i would say a main driver of pursuing a phd pursuing a phd after years um, in the industry is job security as well um, because in complete honesty i have noticed um and it's funny because someone in our um our group was talking about this before we came back to the main session which is how interesting it is the hiring process for quote unquote data scientists um, and there is sort of a like they almost filter out folks sometimes it seems like if they if they don't have a phd or it's very preferred for some industries or for some companies and i'm a i'm just a person who likes to optimize my chances so that was also part of the reason um but i don't think like knowledge wise that it was required for me thank you yep and Tiffany, sort of a follow-up question. You, you brought this up during your your introduction, but you returned to finish your bachelor's 18 years after being in the field working. What kind of perspective did this give you? And what what would you say to someone who might feel as if you know they've missed their window to return to school on a topic that they're real passionate about? I definitely think going. So when I started college originally, I went right after high school. I was 18 and I had no idea what I wanted to do and if I would have stuck with it then I mean there was no social media classes there was a communications degree obviously but no one knew that I could have done that this job just didn't exist then um, so for me I dropped out of school because I thought I was wasting my time um, I also came from a, a working class background it wasn't really expected that I'd go to college it was just like just move out um, so once I had gone into the workforce and had started working in social media and done the analytics side I realized that the only thing really standing between me and going to the next level with my career was a line on my resume that said I had a bachelor's degree and it it seemed silly but it seemed so necessary I couldn't even get my foot in the door sometimes so for me going back later not only did i have more motivation because i saw the the holes that were missing for me but i also had you know i couldn't mess around i couldn't go party my butt off because i'm 20 and it's fun i had a, you know, a little kid at home i had to prioritize very very closely on how i do my work when i do my work how i stay up when i could actually go out and then because i had such little time i had to really focus okay what do you want to do 
you only have, you know, I had, I'd come to um, Eastern Washington University with my associates already done. I went and did it at a, a junior college. And so I knew I only had two years in an actual university. Like, what do you want to do? And so I hit the ground running. I, I knew I wanted to do communications. I knew I liked social media. And I knew I wanted to present at conferences. And so I did all of those things. And I think because I had such little time and because I took such a long break, I had a time to go, okay, what do you like? Where are your passions? Where do they cross? And now what's missing? For me, I had the creativity and the knowledge to edit together these cool videos, make these cool graphics and get them on social media. And I had the ability to look at the analytics and be like, okay, I get most of this, but I've only gone to high school, so I don't get a lot of it. I get enough to be dangerous, though. But I couldn't convince enough people that they should hire me because of that. So I went back to school. I focused super hard. And for me, being in my 30s, going back was the best decision I made. I graduated summa cum laude. If you would have told me in high school I could have done that, I would have laughed at you. I barely graduated high school. So for me, the age came with just so much more focus that I just never had before. And there's no way I could have done it younger. So if, if you're older and you think about going back to school later in life, 30s, 40s, or even way beyond that, as long as you're passionate, you'll be fine. Because I feel like as you get older, you stop caring as much about what all the peanut gallery around you has to say. And there'll be a lot of it. You're sitting around a bunch of 20-year-olds and you're in your 30s. They're like, oh, they had a kegger. And, you know, I was up with my teething, you know, three-year-old. You're going to have different lives. They're going to talk and it's fine. You have to be okay with that. And you have to know that you're there to learn. You're paying to be there to learn. And raise your hand and give answers and have them get you like she knows everything, who she thinks she knows everything. It's okay because your, your professors will respect you. You'll get more out of them and your education will be worth more to you because you, you took the time to focus in on it. So it's never too late. I'm a big believer that my education is not done now. It, it won't be done when I have a PhD and it won't be done you know, until I'm dead. I'm going to keep learning. So it's never too late. Thank you. Thank you for that perspective. Uh, Corinne. So after receiving your bachelor's in psychology, what led you to pursue the PhD specifically in marketing? And when you started that program, did you already know that you wanted to pursue a career at a media and entertainment company? You know, um, I think um, it, it's interesting because my, I feel like my whole life is kind of a, a path of sort of being goal oriented, but also sort of, being attracted by shiny objects. And so, um, you know, I was, I was doing an undergrad in psychology and I thought I would want to do a PhD in that. And then I got to know some folks who are doing graduate degrees in, in um, business. And I was like, gosh, I didn't even know you could do a PhD in business. And I was interested in human behavior. I was interested in analyzing people. And I was interested, especially in how do you convince people? And so, you know, thinking about where can I best learn about persuasion? Um, you know, a marketing PhD program is, is really a fantastic place. So I thought, okay, I thought I was going to be a professor. I'll, I'm going to do a PhD in marketing and be a professor at a business school because this is really where my interest lies. And as I was doing my PhD, um, you know, I got more interested in marketing and trying to understand what was going on in business because I had no business experience. I went straight from my undergrad to my PhD and um, just was really 
excited about all the things that were happening in terms of the ability to understand how people were behaving. So as I was in um, grad school, um, you know, the internet um, was really kind of gathering force. And to, to be able to analyze the how people acted versus what they said they were going to do was just super exciting. And so I thought, oh, gosh, I want to be closer to that in the real world. And so um, and that's kind of why I chose to go into industry. I thought, oh, you know, I'll go into academia back there sometime. And, and you know, it's been 20 years and maybe it'll happen at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, so I don't, and in terms of why I went to Disney, I'd always been interested in Disney. And I thought, well, gosh, if you're going to use technology to better understand how people are behaving, what better place than someplace where they're looking to be entertained, where they're, um, they're really revealing themselves in terms of their behavior, right? Because it's a, it's a purely optional activity. Um, it's not something they're being forced to do, like go to the DMV. They're doing it because they want to. And so in that way, I kind of, um, I had paths that I thought I was on and then sort of meandered away from them and kind of continue to do that. I think that it's important to both have goals, but also be open to different possibilities because you never know what's going to kind of come across your path. Like the way I sort of think about it, it's like I could have a goal of being a basketball player, but if I end up being five foot two, that I need to change that goal, right? I might be a great gymnast, but I'm not probably going to be a great basketball player if I'm too short to be that. And so I think taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves to you is something that is really important and you need to keep your eyes open as well as, um, you know, pushing yourself towards your goals. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Z, we had a great conversation a few weeks back just about the benefits of, you know, community groups, joining a community group um, just on a topic that interests you, especially if you're looking to make a career move or a career pivot into a certain field. Can you talk about what some of these community groups can offer participants and some of the benefits that, that you yourself have gained from them? Oh yeah, sure. Um, I think like, I'm first gonna skip some of the obvious benefits, like, you know, you're gonna improve your networking skills just by simply talking to people uh, in the local meetups or, and then definitely your presentation skills if you decide to give a talk as a speaker. So I feel like the biggest things I've learned um, it's like it, 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 by engaging a community, it's, it changed my perspective of looking at something and learning something new. Like for example, when I first started joining a community, to be honest, I don't I don't feel like I have anything to offer. Maybe except for my dissertation I did at time, and then where I implement like a Bayesian hierarchical models in genomic data for um, you know to research to investigate cancer development. So at the time I was really surprising that people, you know, in the local Southern California, our community was really interested in learning that topic. So I decided to, you know, give a talk about it because that kind of model usually they seeing, um, it's only applied to like text, where it rarely applied to the genomic data. So I was, they, they found the topic really fascinating, but sometimes you give me a lot of encouragement to continue exploring, uh, exploring new things about R. And then also when you, you know, interact with people either in a local meetup in person or, you know, right now I, have, I do most of the times, you know, on Twitter right now. And then people get really excited about, you know, the new foundings about R and then would like to share 
you know, what you have learned about it. It could be as simple as just like, a, you know, a simple trick uh, you learn about R and then, or it could be some like really nice data uh, visualizations uh, you did. Oh, by the way, there is, uh, you know, a weekly activities called a Tidy Tuesday where uh, there is a uh, people that posting a very interesting data set and have it curated and then you can you know send your data visualization and share with the rest of the community so a lot of things like this definitely help to form a really positive feedback loop where I, I try to learn a new things share with the community and then people would there appreciate what I have done and then you know cheer over it and then so that's kind of like you know keep me uh, continually engaged and motivated to learn more things about ARM. So, and and then for example, so when you you know learn some uh, little things, my first instincts would be, oh, I should tweet about that to that my R friends know about it. And then sometimes when you collectively get a lot of information about the same topic, and then I immediately choose to think about, oh, maybe I should go to a local R meetup and then tell them, you know, all the all the things interesting about this specific topic. For example, I. I give that a talk about all the awesome things you can do using R Markdown. Like, you know, using R Markdown, you can build a website like just Alisa, you know, point out the R Ladies website. Uh, you can, you know, build interactive slides and then both show codes and then um, the data visualization and then also dashboards, a lot of things you can do. And then, so, um, so I feel like to summarize, that it's like, you know, engaging a community give me this kind of mindset that definitely helped me to, you know, learn new things and then systematically summarize what, I have, what I've learned in the, in the past. Yeah. And then another thing I want to just mention briefly is uh, keep really active in a community also help with my confidence level, uh, especially during my last two years of my PhD. Um, you know, when things get really uh, difficult and then you can get frustrated with your um, you know, research work or not making much progress on that. So sometimes when I, you know, deviate myself from my PhD work and then get to hang out with my friends in the R community and then talk about the other things I learned about R and then, and also that definitely give me a lot of, you know, confidence back and they help me to deal with the difficulties I encountered in my PhD studies. So this is maybe, uh, you know, another things I found is super useful that, um, you know, something that's just as small as creating a data visualization or sharing Shining Dashboard can help me to bring my confidence back and then continue to overcome of the difficulties in my other field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Colleen, as an entrepreneur in data science consulting and, and statistics, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of being an independent consultant? Yeah, nice question. Um, it has been it, it has been a big change, um, especially going from academia to um, running my own business. Um, in academia, I think you you have a lot more flexibility on the projects that you work on. Um, you know, most of the time you make up your own problems and solve them. You have sort of almost unlimited time to get those things done. And as um, working as a consultant, working for other people, the, the projects and the problems are brought to you by your clients and you have a pretty limited amount of time to work on those projects. I, I actually really 
I, I really enjoyed being in academia. It was really a different experience than what I'm doing now, but I also really enjoy what I'm doing now. Um, part of running your own business um, is being, you know, not having a boss, being the boss is, um, is really freeing and rewarding, um, but it can be, it can be stressful as well. Um, and I really enjoy working on problems that are real problems, more applied problems these days. Um, but there are problems that my clients really want to have solved. Um, so I, th I think that's, I think that's very interesting. One other thing about running your own business is it can be a bit of um, feast or famine in, in terms of the projects that you get. And so there are times when you don't, you're not that busy. And then other times where I'm working every night and weekends, um, and you know, that's fine uh, with me as well. I, I like to hire more people and try to get more people involved to try to take some of the load off of my shoulders when that happens. But um, yeah, so those are some of the differences. Thank you. Leandra, I, I'd like to follow up with you next on a topic we've talked offline about probably multiple times now, but uh, there's somewhat of a mismatch between the skills anyone would need to succeed as a data scientist versus the skills that recruiters or HR specialists or like automated HR systems value when they're trying to fill a specific data science role. You, you come from a non-technical background. Um, you know, I think you were, you're a violinist. So what advice would you have for people interested in analytics and data careers that, that don't come from a heavy math or programming background? Yeah, I would first reiterate that there is more than one path um, because it can feel lonely if you don't come specifically from a STEM or technology background or statistics or mathematics background. Now, granted, obviously you have to learn all that stuff, um, but you don't have to fit the mold where um, if you don't have a bachelor's in mathematics or computer science or something like that, then you're completely screwed. I, I would not say that um, about anyone. But I would say that um, I either recommend that you take some sort of structured program, whether that for some people that's a master's program, for some people that's a boot camp. Now there's pros and cons related to boot camps that I think the community talks about very often. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it depends on the person and their commitment to learning the material. Um, because if you have the curiosity and desire and the time to learn it, um, and the commitment to learning that, you can learn it. Um, I, I kind of, I try to push myself away from 
the school of thought that only some people are cut out to do certain things because I think that it's very damaging and that it has led many different underrepresented groups to believing that they can't enter this field or be software engineers or be doctors or whatever have it. So I first want to say that it is possible, but I would highly encourage those individuals to, if they do want to go into data science, first, first understand what you like about it, because now it seems like there's a very wide definition of what a data scientist is. Maybe you want to be a data engineer, or maybe you just want to be an analyst, or maybe you want to be, um, maybe you want to work in manufacturing or something. Maybe there's a domain expertise that you actually have. Um, and if you do, I would lean on that. Because for me, for instance, with my background in music, I leaned into that and decided to pursue analytics in the entertainment industry. Um, because my undergrad was sort of a coupled liberal arts program between music and business. So I felt like that was a good foundation and that it wasn't just, you know, throw everything away and start from scratch. It's like, no, I have this domain expertise and I actually find that in the interview process, especially if it's for like an entertainment company, like a gaming company or a studio, I tend to have a little bit more preference there. So if you want to go into data science or analysis, or you want to be a statistician, or you want to be a data engineer, or scientist, whatever it is that you want to do, I would recommend considering leaning into the background that you currently have and learning how data mining or machine learning or, you know, descriptive analysis or business intelligence, how that applies to your current field. I think that's a really good thing to lean in on. Thanks, Leandra. Thank you. Uh, Corinne, You've had a series of, of roles with increasing responsibilities at Disney. Uh, do you feel like you were on your own or were there mentors who encouraged you to take on these new roles and responsibilities? You know, that's one thing that I think, um, you know, uh, um, I think Tiffany and Leandra talked a little bit about kind of coming from more, um, maybe more modest backgrounds where, um, and I kind of come from that background as well. And I think that coming from sort of that sort of background has gave me sort of a sense that I needed to do everything by brute force and I needed to do it all alone. And, you know, you, you know, I wasn't going to ask for help because that's weakness. And that was a big mistake. I think that people, um, you know, you don't do anything alone. Like we are all part of the village together. And so I think, reaching out and asking for mentorship, seeking out help. People want to help. People want to feel like the, you know, the, the slings and arrows they've dealt with have given them something that they can then share. So I didn't really uh, deeply understand and live the value of seeking mentorship for much too long. Um, but I think it's something really important to do. Um, and I think it, you know, I think it has made my journey harder than it needed to be because I didn't seek the help that I could have gotten um, versus thinking I had to do it all by myself. Thank you. Yep. And that's a great perspective. Thank you. 
So Tiffany, I'd like to ask you next, do you, you have significant experience being a liaison between uh, third party technical programmers, as well as the Board of Education leaders. Can you discuss some of the soft and hard skills that are required to both manage up and down? Um, I, I find that in data science, that's definitely something that a lot of us will find ourselves in throughout our career. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, of all the experience I have, I think the thing I use most every day is my communications degree, for sure. Uh, especially when it comes to relaying information, whether it be statistics and analytics or just more technical information about the website, redesigning it. When you're going from a developer who speaks who could speak to me in code and I'll understand him and he understands me but then I have to take it to the president of the Board of Education who is a retired um, special education teacher who needs help using Facebook different skill sets require different terminology well I can sit to him and, and, and look at code and we can go well I kind of don't like this can we make it do this when it comes to speaking with the Board of Education I have to realize what skill set I'm going up against, not look at it as necessarily um, something that will hinder them, but as how to use that to my advantage. So if I'm talking to the Board of Education and we're talking about the website, for example, we did a big redesign of our website and the header this, uh, this past beginning of the school year. And even the smallest changes for a website in a public sector like that requires the approval of about 19 people in every department you can imagine. There's 10 different people to sign off on it. So with that many cooks in the kitchen, you're gonna get lots of opinions. And when none of the cooks in the kitchen besides me has the technical background that can tell you no websites don't do that, you're gonna get pushback. They want certain things on the website because it's important, because they need it to be up there for the families, because they need it to be up there for maybe legal reasons. And I need to come to them and say, yes, but you need to be able to read the website. You need to be able to see it on multiple screens. So going to them, I have found that the best way to do that is usually visually, especially when it comes to a website. If you can show people, even when it comes to analytics, they love bars and graphs and charts, especially when they don't understand the analytics and walk them through it. I'll have um, board members who'll come up to me and they go, well, what was our views on that last video? like well that's really important that you know the views were you know 10,000 and that's really important but what we really want to look at is how many click-throughs did we get to our website because that was the main reason we put the video there great if they watched all the way to the end doesn't really matter to me as long as they click through and go to the website so making sure that when you're talking to people and telling them okay this is what a goal you have for it. And while that may or may not be realistic, I want you to also look at this. You need to do the explaining as to why. I have a lot of people that are in much higher positions of me that I almost have to educate. And I'm educating other educators, which they don't always like that. So learning how to talk to them, how to listen to them, and how to talk to them in a way where you're just expanding their knowledge, you're not pointing out what they don't know. I think that's a big one. That's a good way of getting people on the same page. And then if you're on the same page, you can make a plan from there. Thank you. Thanks for that. And uh, before we open it up to the public questions, I think we have time for one more question here. 
Uh, Steve, I, I'd like to ask you, the idea of finding a mentor uh, or even the mentorship concept may not be that common for people that are coming to the U.S. and studying or working from from other countries, uh, particularly Chinese students. Um, we had a conversation about this, but how would you describe the mentoring relationship and what kind of guidance have you received from your data science mentors? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, that's actually a really good question. Um, and then, so when I first came to, you know, U US, I wasn't super familiar with the concept of mentorship. And then, because I feel like if I have a questions, there's a lot of people you can go ask. You know, for example, you got how to prepare for course uh, classes, get an internship, get a job or so. But, you know, once I kind of advance into my career, some of the questions kind of have to be more specific and then target and based on my own experiences. Like, for example, when I was doing my internship uh, in back in Chicago, um, the internship program was really where uh, design where they give you like um, a managers assign you a daily responsibility or works and then another they also give you a, like a mentor so you can talk to you about some of your future goals. Um, so uh, there are so lists of a lot of things you have to check off during your three months internship. For example, you have to have like bi-weekly conversation with your mentors, uh, invite like five people in a company to have lunch and then chat with your career goals. So all of those are actually quite new to me. And then uh, maybe it was a coincidence, but the mentor assigned to me also happened to be an international student from China. And then he was pursuing PhD uh, at the same school I did my master. I was doing my master time. So, you know, after my, after expressing my future career goals and everything, he gave me a very, you know, important uh, advice. That was like, if I actually determined to, um, and to, become a leader in, in, the, in this industry or be able to expose myself to more complicated projects. Um, and doing a PhD, it uh, seems to be a really, uh, it's, it's actually a recommended route to the things to do and next. And also he shared his, some of the personal experiences, uh, uh, stories where he has to maintain a full-time job and a family and also pursue a part-time PhD. So uh, it's, it's actually a quite challenge for him to do at that time. And then, so that actually changed my plan, you know, um, by having him as my mentor, I, I actually get to uh, make, make the, um, you know, change my decision and then start to pursue um, PhD that time. I think I believe I was the only student designed to go into a PhD um, during my cohort that year. So later on, I, when I was doing, um, you know, my trainings at USC, my advisor, uh, Kim Sigmund also happened to uh, working with Madeline's when Madeline was working at USC as well. So she not only, you know, serve as a research advisor, but also uh, is a mentor to me as well. But later on, when I found out that I actually um, would like to pursue a career in data science, uh, I feel like I probably need to, you know, start talking to someone who have a lot of experiences in the same field I would like to pursue my career in. Um, so luckily, um, the going to meetups, uh, our ladies or, um, you know, uh, our users group, there's a lot of people who have many years of work experience also would like to contribute to the, to the community. So just by, you know, uh, working with them and get to chat with them. And then sometimes uh, they will come over to talk about some of the talks I, I gave. 
Um, so I think, and also I help them with maintaining either like social media and then help with the data science uh, hackathon. So by, you know, doing all the things together, I feel like it started to build this kind of trust between us. So where later on when I, you know, started to uh, prepare looking for jobs, they gave me a lot of helps, like, you know, definitely editing my resume, doing like mock interviews together, and then also have really constructive feedbacks, for example, oh, um, you have a lot of projects with R, but not necessarily in Python. And then maybe trying to expose yourself to some of the, you know, cloud uh, service as well, like AWS, or the way you describe your project was a little bit too academic. So maybe trying to put them into a more professional way. So there's a lot of things I, I learned from them. And then I, so, so definitely, um, you know, that, that was helping me with my job application process last year. So right now, um, I still keep like a constant, I would say like a regular, uh, just check in with them as well, not necessarily have to call or, you know, have a meeting, but just text them saying that, hey, you know, this is what I'm, I'm doing pretty fine recently. And some of the things I'm really trying to learn and then make another move in my you know, professional development. And then they were checking with me, um, you know, to give some such suggestion on that one as well. Yeah, so that's pretty much my experience with, um, you know, seeking mentorship um, start by studying at U.S., yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's that's really good perspective. Thanks. Do what she did, not what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to leave some time for questions from the audience. Um, Alyssa, is it all right if we start opening it up to the questions from the forum? And I have a bird in the background that's going a little crazy. My apologies. That's all right. Yep, it's okay. Okay, uh, perfect. Yeah, it's a little after eight. This time was allotted for questions from the audience. So, yeah. Um, Javier, do you have the link? I sent you it earlier. If yes, you don't have I have it up right now. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see here. Someone did ask about contact info for the panelists. Um, I think what Alyssa will be doing is putting LinkedIn profiles on the GitHub repository for this event, uh, or it will be on the GitHub repository for uh, Our Lady Irvine, and uh, there will be a link with regard to this event. Yeah. Can I add to that, Javier? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Please. Uh, I'm also not only planning on adding it to the, our GitHub repository, but also planning on adding it to the follow-up email that we'll be sending to everyone after this event. So, yeah, it'll also be easier to find in that way, too. Thank you, Alyssa. And I've been popping in on some of the side conversation here, just additional questions, follow-up questions on, on the Zoom group chat. Uh, I love the, just the excitement here, so. Thank you all. Okay, so one really good question comes from from someone asking to get a data to get a job in data science is the experience or degree emphasized more. This particular individual said I'm a current graduate student in physical sciences who uses big environmental data sets. So if any of the panelists would like to to field that question, please just feel free to I, I, um, I'll jump in to start because this is something I have very strong opinions about. I'm going to try to not resort to profanity, but I don't give a 
what your degree's in. Um, I, you know, in fact, I hired a guy with a PhD in philosophy and if the PhD didn't matter at all, uh, in the sense that, you know, I think that it's important in data science to have a variety of different perspectives. I mean, I think you have to have the relevant technical skills, but as long as you can kind of help the hiring person understand how your sort of background translates into what they need to do. You kind of have to help them with that sometimes more if you're coming from a non-traditional background. But if you can help them do that, um, I, I think you end up in sometimes at an advantage over, you know, you know, because now there's like 10 billion masters in data science degrees. And so, you know, if you look a little different, that can actually be a positive branding factor if you can kind of effectively communicate how what you've done translates and how it is a strength and how it can help me be more effective in what I'm trying to do as, as a hiring leader. So I'd, I'd just like to give the opposite perspective of that because I feel like in my field it really matters what your degree is in and um, and you know, I have, I've hired, I've been on hiring boards in, um, in biostatistics, and I feel like people are very biased towards what your degree is in. So I think it depends upon, you know, what field you're actually applying into. Thank you. Yeah, to chime in a little bit um, from my perspective, I think to um, Colleen's point, it does depend maybe a little bit on the industry. Um, like maybe if you're working on a very niche type of, you know, problem, you probably need to have some sort of academic background in that. But um, in my personal experience, I agree more with Corinne, um, just because data science in marketing and operations and that sort of thing is very much an applied um, quote unquote science. Um, it's, it's almost like, and I'm guilty of this too, because I've gone down the rabbit hole of wanting to learn absolutely everything and getting like a certificate or something and absolutely everything or like getting books and studying all these various different things. But I think that at the end of the day, if you haven't done it, um, it's it's like it doesn't bring a ton of value um and now being in a role where i'm we're actually um hiring a vp currently of analytics and interviewing people who like they have a phd or they have a master's in something that's seemingly very applicable but they don't have a ton of experience and even in even now, I'm considering domain expertise even more, I think, than I used to because maybe you you studied something and you have actual app, like you've applied your technical knowledge or your statistical knowledge into something, but you haven't worked in a particular domain that requires a particular set of understanding. So for me, I think I think experience is more important just because like learning something in an academic setting versus doing it are vastly different experiences I find. Thank you. Yeah. Several questions on the Zoom group chat 
Madeline has a question for Colleen. How did you support yourself while making the transition from academia to starting your own consulting business? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I was pretty lucky in that I had started a um, consulting center at, um, at San Diego State when I was there. And so I had quite a few clients that I took from, from academia into consulting and um, to starting up my own business. And, um, and, and I also worked part-time making the trans in making that transition i worked part-time at um ucsd for their consulting center at the um, morse cancer center and was kind of growing my business at that time so so that's basically how i did it i worked part-time <laughs> in a regular job and tried to grow my business at the same time so it it just takes a few years i think to gear up to the point where you can support yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Linda asks, any advice for learning the math and stats to improve the tool set for data analysis? Is it unrealistic to self-teach or not? Z mentioned mixed modeling, differential, ex differential expression analysis, clustering analysis, and machine learning modeling. It all sounds very cool. Oh, oh, I can I can take that question. Um, so um, I think some of the methods kind of unique to the question. What kind of question you you look at? Like for example, uh, all the examples I just give it to you. Uh, they are often the you know methods we go into when we deal with the customers because the data we analyze were uh, primarily just like uh, G expression data. So um, some of the classic technicals that we always have to do is you know just to look at the differential expression analysis to see any of the genes has, uh, has differentially expressed across some of the group they're interested in. And then people also, seems like, you know, when you have this kind of genomic data, uh, the dimension of the predictors is much, much larger than the samples. So that's why, um, you know, having some dimension reduction method is very important too. And then, and especially uh, right now, people are really fascinated by the, uh, the power of the machine learning models, where we also want to um, you know, apply them to the genes uh, expression data and then trying to have something was predictive of the outcome that the customer is interested in. And then, um, for example, if you go into some of another field where they have a very different data set, uh, I know like right now, most of the data is kind of the relational ones that we deal with in the row and the columns. Maybe the data could be uh, the data from the social media, could be image and then videos, then in that case, it's less likely those traditional statistical methods will be in use, but more likely about neural network and the deep learning and some of the uh, methods from the computer visions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Z. Mm -hmm. If I could just chime in, just a follow-up to, uh, to Z's comment. I, I just recently graduated from a master's program at UCI, and I don't want to make it sound like I didn't learn anything there. I think it gave me a lot of motivation to apply my experiences and you know really dig into the things I found useful or beneficial. Um, but in terms of like teaching yourself something, um, I don't think it is unrealistic at all to self-teach. I think it's very difficult to find the time and the like determination to have a regular cadence for which you can do that type of self-teaching. 
Mm -hmm. um, if you're committed to doing that, I actually think self-learning in this field is super possible right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, I this is the this is the same things I have to deal with as well. It's very easy to procrastinate when you have a, like a big goals out there. And then, of course, first things you can do just to split them into like a baby steps. Another very useful thing I, I do a lot too is joining a study group. I know study group sounds like so school, but even though you know you you left school, there is still a lot of opportunities you know out there online and people saying that hey, maybe we can, you know, just spend like an hour in the Starbucks nearby and then we can, you know, trying to go through the, the book together. For example, Element of the Statistical Learning is a very classic book if you want to learn like machine learnings. And then I know like uh, uh, Orange, uh, uh, Orange County, our users group have been forming a book club to, you know, go into this book together. Or if you want to just uh, practice some of the Python projects, there are also like Python, uh, you know, um, a study group out there so you can sit down and ask questions and then get to showcase some of the things you learn about Python as well. So I would say that having a, a study group and then having some friends getting together going through towards some of the goals is definitely uh, at least very important for me to, to learn something new by myself. Mm -hmm. Linda, I'll send you the context of this. I feel like I should get paid for by our studio here, but this book, <laughs> R for Data Science, is incredible. I mean, it's meant for people wanting to learn basics and statistics. This book as well, hands-on machine learning with R. I mean, these, this first one is sort of a beginner book. I still look at it a few times a month. This one I read a few times a month, just different, different sections of it. This book, Advanced R. I mean, these are the three books I have like Leandra said, I feel like I have, I don't know, a ton of books at this point. And these three ones are the ones that I recommend to all my friends that want to get into analytics or data science. But that's just my perspective. Hey, Alyssa, O'Reilly, I, I saw O'Reilly as a sponsor. Can they hook us up with that first one or something if Linda needs it? <laughs> yeah, actually, R for Data Science is completely free online to everyone. But um, yeah, it's R literally the number four ds dot um hadley dot nz or something like that if you go yes. for data science you'll find both the free book and the free online learning community which is like a study group that structures each of the different chapters which is like each of the different key concepts in our week by week and they're a very supportive community there too um anyway with the o'reilly sponsorship too um we have access to discounts um and other perks with o'reilly that i'll send out in the email follow-up Thanks for bringing that up, Karen. All these books are actually free online as well. You could pay for the hard copy, but they're all available for free online. Um, I'd like to add one more book to the list of books that we've already said. Um, it's called Modern Dive, and it's another one of those free online R books, but this one really dives deep into R and statistics. Like R for data science is like the beginner book for knowing how to work with um, data in R and do data manipulation and data visualization and the project workflow in R. Whereas uh, Modern Dive goes into T-Test, ANOVA, everything that you can think of with regards to an undergraduate or graduate stats class in R. So I'd highly recommend that as well. It's just what called was the Modern name of that Dive. Book? What? Mo Modern Dive? Yes. Okay. Thanks. Mm -hmm. 
in the follow-up where where you have the links maybe could, could you include the titles of these books i think it'd be helpful just to have them all in one place perfect and definitely. i can work with you with, yeah. oh. <laughs> sorry yes definitely we'll include the links um in titles of all of these books in our follow-up yeah i think like when we end the zoom meeting it's gonna save the script somewhere in the folders that we can share later yeah Leandra, I, we didn't get to one of the questions I had prepared for you, but I, I think it's an interesting one. Also something that we've talked about before, but uh, we had a discussion about whether or not data science roles are becoming more specialized, often with increasing educational requirements. Can you elaborate on, on this just a bit more and give us your thoughts? Yeah, sure. So. Yeah, we have talked about this a couple times because it's such an interesting topic when you look at how data science is defined as a as a distinction sort of in certain companies right and even in certain departments i think even within the same company it can vary from department to department um from startups to huge corporations that are well established um, sort of the breadth of the technology and background you need to have varies. And so in one aspect, I find that we're almost, I like, I see sometimes job descriptions that ask for you to know everything under the sun um, with like all the cloud, all the, all the cloud things, right? All the cloud computing technology, um Keras, TensorFlow, you gotta know it all. You gotta know all the deep learning, you gotta know Python, R, C sharp, you gotta know SQL, no SQL. You you have to have the whole enchilada. And it's like, I don't even think that's even true though. Like I think they put that because they're almost like trying to cast a wide net and they're trying to maybe like get the most out of the deal that they can out of a candidate. Um, and in the process, I think the perception of a data science role has become this magician, one hat fits all type role where someone has to know everything. But in reality, maybe, maybe that is somewhat the case in startups where they have like one data guy or lady. But I think in more established companies, I think that is actually becoming more focused because what I find is that, you know, you'll have this role and they're like, it'll be nice if you know SQL, R, and some, or, R or Python or whatever. And, you know, hopefully you have some experience with these particular types of models on this particular type of business problem. But then when you get to the actual job interview, they're like, oh, that's cool. You know, all that stuff. But have you particularly like, have you done like a particular sentiment analysis like on this particular like social media website or like have you actually done um, like topic modeling or something like that? Like they'll get super specific. And I think it's because even though they cast a white net, when they're actually boiling it down to who they need, not who they are wishing for, but who they need, it's actually a fairly focused individual because I think that it's it's almost a it's almost a tad absurd to expect someone to know all these things. I mean, we're only people, and I think even if someone did know all these things, they wouldn't even have time to really focus 
really on one of those many things. And in reality, if you're meeting deadlines, which is a, which is a thing in industry, you need someone to build the data pipelines. You need someone to clean the data or explore the data or model the data. Um, so it's, it's sort of still in the air. I haven't really decided if it's truly become more specialized or if it's become more broad, but I suspect that it's actually becoming more specialized and that the way that they find talent has just become flawed, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yep, thank you. Here's a question from Jessica Huey. Uh, how can you get experience while in a master's program? I think it depends upon what kind of experience you want, <laughs> but um, there's lots of internships out there and um, I would definitely suggest trying to get an internship while you're doing a master's program. But, um, you know, I think you want to figure out more specifically what field you want to go into, what you know what industry and what types of companies you would want to work for and then try to find an internship with that company there's lots of companies that take interns and i think that you know one thing about getting experience is it's it's like a beautiful day where there's data everywhere now that you can access very easily and do interesting projects and bring them and talk about them and that's a way to get experience in any area you want, right? Because there's there's massive amounts of, if you're interested in public health, well, hell, there's, there's a million COVID-19 data sets out there now. If you're interested in demographics, like, you know, ipums.org has census data from 1790. Like, so I think that getting experience in a business context is beneficial for sure. Like, I think doing an internship is absolutely um, great advice. I also think there's ways to get an um, experience though with with like just sitting back from your desk um, because like nobody can stand in your way now, right? Like you can do a Kaggle competition um, and that counts in my view as experience. When I see someone who's who's you know who's got some good has has, has participated in Kaggle competitions and has come out pretty high on you know the list I'm like okay that's interesting tell me more about that and that as far as I'm concerned counts as experience because I want somebody who can do something I'm not like I'm not sitting there like oh I need somebody who's been sitting in this particular type of desk for six months like I need to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible and I know what I need to do um, but I need someone's help and so I think that getting experience does not necessarily have to be as traditional as it might have been in the past. Yeah, of course I want to talk about getting experience, uh, you know, getting an um, internship as well, because usually um, some of the internships, they don't accept uh, graduating students, they only take like first year students, and then you are supposed to go back to school after the internship. So where, uh, which means you only have the opportunity to do your internship during the, at the end of the first year then you need to start looking for a job in the March or maybe after Christmas if the position is really popular, which means you only have half year of what you just learned and you need to have that to get an internship, which is extremely difficult for someone just switch from another career to the data science. So, so that's why I also wanna, 
you know, and echo the same opinions as well. Even though if you cannot get an internship, maybe you can try to uh, do some volunteer work with some of the professors. They're always, you know, welcome to graduate students to help them analyze the data. Uh, it does not necessarily have to be like a paid research internship. And also, you know, be able to get yourself to expose to like more interesting projects. Kaggle is definitely the to-go place as well. Also, I want to advertise our data science hackathon as well, where you really spend a weekend, you know, only two days to, to work with this data set and be able to develop your own story and give a presentation out of it. And then remember, we have, you know, committees sitting and they judge your performance and give different, uh, you know, award as well. For example, last year, I, uh, you know, sent a data science hackathon link to some of the students at USC. And then they actually got uh, one of the work that USC designed to write a news report about the exciting achievements they get. So that was something they get to put on their resume and then to brag about. So, so definitely there's a lot of opportunities out there and then besides internship as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. I think everyone mentioned really great ideas with internships and um, volunteering. Um, I know there's there's quite a few nonprofit organizations that um, post opportunities where you can sort of get a little bit more applied experience like DataKind. Um, I, think, I think it's Statisticians Without Borders or something like that. They have um, a lot of volunteer opportunities. Um, there's quite a few. In fact, I can, I can probably um, make a list or something and send it over to our um our hosts but um there's also virtual internships now because i know it's very complicated getting internships right now with covid um there's this website called inside sharpa inside sherpa and they host um internships like digital experiences what they call them through various different organizations like kp um kpgm jp morgan chase um, ANZ, General Electric has a data analytics internship, and pretty much anyone, it's, it's not like very formal, pretty much anyone gets in, but it's like they give you a data set and they give you a, a problem to solve. And then at the end of it, I think they actually like bump you up in their, um, like if, if you apply to a job at those companies, I think you actually get preferred because you completed that program. Um, so I would recommend that. And I would also recommend, if you can, just trying to find a problem that really interests you or a topic that really interests you, doing a passion project and like putting it on your GitHub or something like that. Um, I know I recently, I, my favorite film is The Matrix. So I did like a natural language processing project of the script to The Matrix just for fun. And um, also I'm, getting married next year and we're putting together like a wedding playlist and we didn't want to put anything on there where the lyrics were too different because it's kind of a combined effort so I figured maybe I'll do like a natural language processing or like some sort of topic modeling or sentiment analysis of the songs that we put together to see if there's anything that doesn't fit the general theme so like you can just find anything, maybe you like skateboarding or you like video games and you want to analyze some Resident Evil data or something, like whatever it is that you're into, I think it'll be really interesting and fun for 
you to talk about in interviews. Well, if we have time for one quick question, uh, Robin asked if anyone on the panel is available for mentorship. That's a funny question. So full full disclosure, Robin is actually my mom. If anyone's wondering why we have the same last name, <laughs> um, and uh, I, my mom, she's she's actually getting into um, she's studying public health right now. So um, I've actually been collaborating with her on some of her classes and stuff, and um, it's been a really great bonding. Um, bonding opportunity and I actually in our meeting session before this I was actually grouped with Alyssa's dad too in addition to my mom so that was really interesting so I just want to put that out there because I just felt it was funny that she <laughs> that she asked that <laughs> and for for me I mean I'm definitely uh willing to help mentor I'll be frank I have my time is pretty limited so I'm not like somebody who you can get into a daily email chain with probably. Um, but I'm absolutely like, I'm very passionate about helping other women. Um, and so, you know, if, if it's a conversation or looking at, you know, resume or just want to, you know, Hey, thinking about this, happy to have a conversation. Um, but I think just, you know, I just want to set expectations that I, uh, I've got, you know, kids and job and everything. So um, I'm, I'm not super available, but I, I'm happy to have conversations and just build connection because I think it's those weak ties that you have that will help you um, kind of find the opportunities that are best for you and learn the things you need to learn. Yeah, just to echo what Karen just said. Same with me. Um, if you have any questions or want any um, advice, especially in the social media world, or if you're interested in getting in the public sector, like especially K-12 education is where a lot of my experience has been lately, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I am a mom and a wife, so I am very busy too, but I always try to get back as quickly as I possibly can. You can always email me too, or social media, believe it or not, easiest way to find me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, same here as well. I think I just left my LinkedIn uh, page earlier in the chat as well. And then uh, there's a couple of people already adding me on LinkedIn as well. So I, you know, definitely feel free to leave your questions on the, in the chat. And then either could be something like, you know, help review the LinkedIn page and then uh, how to build a personal portfolio website. And then since I actually, uh, you know, in my early stage of my career as well. So I also need to learn a lot of things from the panelists here today as well. But I would like to share with you some of my experience when I, you know, looking for a job last year. And then like some of the internships, uh, some of the um, in interviews I had, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm definitely available for questions as well. Although my availability is a bit limited also. I'm always available on LinkedIn as well. Just to chime in, um, I might be a week or two late, but I definitely don't let a LinkedIn message, uh, you know, fall into an email abyss. So I'm always happy to. Occasionally do me. though, so you might have to email me <laughs> twice. <laughs> Same here. I'd like to chime in. Um, I'm also available for mentoring. Like I'm like the other panelists, where I'm kind of busy. Um, I have. I'm pursuing a master's degree while working full-time, but I'm always happy to help people with 
their questions about learning R or professional development in this area too. So any final questions before we move on? This was a wonderful panel. I'm so glad that we were able to do this. We were able to hang out with all of you guys. Yeah, thank yeah. you for the opportunity. I think, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to join you guys, especially since you're virtual. When I, when I have to drive to Orange County again, that probably wouldn't work, but. <laughs> <laughs> True. Thanks for all your help setting this up, Alyssa and Madeline. I really appreciate your coordination and all the panelists. Thank you so much for responding to our many emails and, uh, you know, being able to participate on this panel. I think it was a great event. So. Thank you all.